We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am your host. I am joined by my friend and yours, D2 Dolomite Dave Martinez. Hello to you, sir. Hello, and 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 as many of us know, today is April 15th, the, the day that we're releasing this podcast. It is tax day. The tax man cometh indeed. For those of you who are thinking right now, oh my goodness, I have not yet done those preparations, you are more than welcome to hit the pause button and get to it. For those of you who have already done so or filed an extension, you should listen on D2. You look like someone who is probably anticipating a chunky refund from our friends at the Internal Revenue Service and Georgia Department of Revenue. <laughs> yeah, I, I typically do my taxes early and I usually do get a refund. Uh, so and for those of you that are getting a refund, I would say, you know, I've got a suggestion. We've got these brand new, uh, you know, ASICS DS trainers that are patriotic edition, uh, along with the run ATLs that we are now offering. Those are available. The DS trainers available for pre-order and the run ATL shirts are available now. That way you can kind of stock up, get what you need right before the 4th of July. And that way you're all set. That is great advice. I heard earlier that Georgia is a top 20 state in terms of residents who have their money held by the federal government. So lots of refunds coming back to the great state of Georgia. That was good guidance from UD2 in terms of where to perhaps spend it and deck yourself out in favor of Uncle Sam and all that is the July 4th celebration in and around Atlanta, including the AJC Peachtree Road Race and the 50th celebration of such this year, 2019. We are also celebrating D2, a very special guest joining us today. Yeah, that's right. We've got John Bingham, the Penguin. The Penguin, yes. For those of you who are not familiar with Mr. Bingham, he is known as the Penguin, and he is described as many, many things. But one thing that's particularly cool, D2, I think this might be our most ever quoted featured conversation. You need not go far on the World Wide Web or to Goodreads or anywhere you might get your quotes. One of my favorite, the miracle isn't that I finished. The miracle is that I had the courage to start. John was a contributor and obviously a big influence in Runner's World magazine. He did become known as the Penguin because of his very proud placement, oftentimes in hundreds of races to the middle towards the back of the pack. That was a placement he wore proudly. He also was known as the hero of the modern running boom as unlikely as he says that was given that he was overweight, uninspired, and saddled with a pack and a half day smoking habit. He's also been called the Pied Piper of the running boom. The column that he wrote in Runner's World was one of the all-time favorites. He did much speaking, was often found at the finish line of some of the world's biggest races. We had a chance to sit down to catch up with him. We had not done so in quite some time. In one of the instances when he was passing through Atlanta, he had spent some time in our Brookhaven store. So this was really cool for me to catch up with him now five plus years later, not only see what he's doing, but to realize that still very much to this day, he is inspiring tens of thousands of runners and walkers with that can-do attitude and spirit, as well as giving very thoughtful advice as to how we can all get better. For those of you who want more, we'll put this in the show notes. He is an author of five books, some of them you've heard before, even if not knowing they were his, The Courage to Start, Running for Mortals, no Need for Speed, and The Accidental Athlete most recently. These are titles easy to find with all kinds of good advice, D2, contained therein. 
So we will delay no longer D2. We are going to get to this conversation, inspiring you, me, and all of our listeners with John the Penguin Bingham right after this brief message. Congratulations to everyone that got into the lottery and will be joining us and the rest of the 60,000 participants on July 4th. Now is the time to start thinking about what you'll be wearing down Petrie Road that morning or later that evening enjoying the fireworks. That's why we have the Patriotic Asics Gel DS Trainer 24. There are limited qualities available for pre-order and we expect these to sell out. We also have Patriotic Run ATL shirts available now online. Go to BigPeachRunningCo.com and order your Patriotic gear and suit up for the 4th of July. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. And for sure, the emphasis on back is there for a reason that we will celebrate today. Not the only, for sure. D2, we oftentimes hear the expression, whether it's in this audio journey, in our stores, or just at a local race, back of the pack. And sometimes... It is said with enthusiasm. Other times it is said perhaps even with a little disdain. But we have someone who is going to give us all we need to know why we should celebrate not just the back of the pack, but everyone from start to finish, as we indicated in our intro. Today we have John the Penguin Bingham with us. John, thank you so much for taking some time with us this afternoon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, and John, we mentioned this when we first reached out to you and had the good fortune of someone suggesting you for our conversation. You've been in Atlanta with us previously a number of years ago. We had the good fortune of hosting you for a book signing in one of our stores. And I mentioned that because I think it sets the stage for those who are not as familiar with you as what D2 and I are. Almost 20 years of chronicles, well more than that now for your own journey that has inspired literally millions of others. But with every great story and every terrific journey that is taken, there are some initial steps. There is a beginning. So as that place to start, when you think about the earliest days of you launching into this lifestyle, what still comes to mind all these years later? What comes to mind, and, and now I've been running for, for almost 30 years. It's hard for me to believe that I've been running for that long. But what, what comes to mind is, is what it is for everybody, it literally, is that first step. It's the unknown. It's the stepping off into the abyss. There's a lot of excitement about getting the gear and getting the shoes and figuring it all out. But there is still this sort of terrifying moment when you're there and you're by yourself and you have to step off. And and I think, uh, you know, I never want to forget how much courage it really does take to take that first step. Well, and one of the many quotes that people, in fact, in a recent relocation of our Decatur store, we made the decision to put quotes on the walls, in the dressing room, even in the restroom of people who inspired us and we knew would inspire our guests. And one of those that's up there and obviously attributed to you very, very regularly and rightfully The miracle isn't that I finished. The miracle is that I had the courage to start. And John, one of the things that's maybe a little bit different for you is you did not start coming right out of a baby stroller or right out of a cross-country program in middle school. You, like many of the people who are inspired to do things differently as they get to a certain point in their life or they come to this realization about their life, was much further than that. And I know from... Part of your backstory, caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, these elements were part of that story as well. And then when there was this collision, it was time to do something differently. And man, differently, you did it. Let's talk about that for a second. How did you come to that point where you just said, things need to be different for me? Well, you could only drink so much and then you pass out and then you have to start all over again the next day. That's kind of the way that was going. Let me just take you back for a second and set the context for that quote, because that was coming back from a half Ironman triathlon that I had done in Panama City, Florida. And it was never intended to go out to anybody except a journal entry for myself. And what it it contemplated was that why it was that, that I wasn't surprised that I had finished because I had trained well. I was prepared. I was absolutely dead last, so, but I wasn't surprised by that. 
but it's what I referred to earlier. It's that idea of standing there with a bunch of athletes, because I certainly didn't consider myself an athlete at the time, and probably never did. But then gun goes off, and off you go. So that it truly was a miracle. It wasn't that I finished because I was prepared. The miracle was that I had the courage to start. But I think for me, like a lot of people, you know, life kind of goes on. I was in my early 40s. I had good jobs, uh, and, but I was miserable. I mean, there was just no way that I could con- convince myself that there was enough joy in my life to sustain that kind of lifestyle. And I had uh, a guy that worked for me who was a bicyclist who was always happy. And uh, through that conversation with him, I realized that he he found that joy in movement. He found that joy in activity. And I thought, well, maybe he's right. And I tried a, a little bit of bicycling. That seemed to work okay. And then I tried just getting out there and, and taking a few steps, tentative at the time, mostly walking, a little bit of running. And I just, the the activity is what, what hooked me on it. It wasn't being fast. It wasn't going far. It wasn't any of that. It was just the movement, the sort of movement of my own body with my own two feet. That's what fascinated me. And, and frankly, that's what kept me interested all those years. Well, let's talk about that movement. And, and this is maybe a really predictable question, but one that our listeners would be upset with us if we didn't ask. You talk about your two feet. That might mean those two webbed feet of yours. Or what is it that gives us the backstory for the penguin and that nickname that has stuck so wonderfully for all of these years? Well, that, that's actually a true story. It's not like we got together with a focus group and decided, well, what's a character that we can use to make this happen? I was, at the time I'd been running for maybe six months, I was up visiting a friend in Appleton, Wisconsin. And in, in the downtown streets in Appleton, Wisconsin, there's a little store called Gabriel's Furniture. And I was running along the street. Their window is just offset a little bit. And I looked in that window and I saw this guy running. And I thought, wow, he doesn't look like he's doing a very good job. He looks overweight. He's kind of waddling down the street. And I honestly thought it was somebody else on the other side of the street, <laughs> only to realize when I got up there, oh, my God, that's me. And so it's just suck. I thought I just looked like I had black running shorts on, a white T-shirt on, and I just looked like a penguin. And there was something about that. It was the, it was the struggle was there, but it wasn't as negative as being a sloth or a turtle or a slug. It was just being a penguin. Well, and one of the things that I love, and, and we say at Big Peach Running Company, we sign this podcast off. We put it as what might be referred to as a marketer, our tagline, may your best miles be those covered on foot. And you sign off everywhere I've seen you waddle on friends. And yes. I genuinely believe from what I know and have learned about you, John, that you consider those out there doing this, whether they've been doing it for a long, long time or whether today may have been when they took their first steps, they are friends of yours. You can relate to them and they can learn from and be inspired by you. But let's talk about that sense of friendship, that sense of kinship that exists in around, in and around running and walking. Why do you believe that is so true? And why do you have the confidence that maybe almost immediately that you can refer to someone who does this, but that you've not met previously as a friend of yours? I think the, the reason why running and runners are can find that sort of common space to be with each other is that there's a truth and an honesty in running that you don't find in most of the rest of your life. When you line up for a race or if you go out for a club run, uh, I usually get invited to go do these club runs. And they would, you know, the organizer would say, oh, you know, you know, we know you're right about being slow, but you're probably really not slow. So they would all take off and there I'd be. And that's what I mean. There's an honesty about it. You're only as fast as you actually are. It doesn't matter how fast you say you are. It doesn't matter how important you are in your in your field. When the gun goes off or when that run takes off, that's who you are. And I think that's what what attracted me to it. I was in a career. I was in an academic career where, you know, people have fancy degrees and that's what they want to identify. And so they would separate themselves. Runners don't do that. Runners are, hey, you're out here. I'm out here. We're both on the same track. We're both in the same weather. There's an honesty and integrity about who you have to be as a runner. And I think that's what made a difference for me. Well, and, and just hearing you say that, I think it speaks very much to, I know it does for me, that mutual attraction that occurs when people recognize that honesty and they recognize sometimes their own shortcomings or sense of feeling a little intimidated and they 
determine very quickly that, gosh, this person next to me or this person who is also doing the same thing I am feels the same way. They haven't figured it all out. They don't have all the confidence in the world that they can do this or they can finish or they can hit their target. And I think it is very satisfying, very reassuring. In fact, John, you wrote with Runner's World, your column, almost 20 years. And as that particular season in your life came to a close, I remember reading that you felt, and I would say this is an experienced viewpoint, you felt that, and this is your quote, the greatest collective of people you've ever known was the running community. Maybe with a couple of examples, what gives you the sense that that was the case? And maybe as a somewhat predictable, maybe even selfish for running store geeks like D2 and I, what would you say about whether that's still true today? Well, it's a great question. And I, I, it does sort of transcend everything that I was fortunate enough to do in my life uh, as the Penguin. You've got to keep in mind that yeah, there is this community out there. And when I got involved in that community, that's when it really took off. I, the truth is, I was never as interested in running as I was in runners. And the only way you can be around that wonderful group of runners is if you're a runner. You, you just have to you have to go out there and run. And so the, I was willing to pay my dues. I was willing to do the training. I was willing to do the things that I needed to do individually so that I could be a part of that wonderful community of runners. Now, I was fortunate in that my, my life took a turn, and with the Runner's World column and, and invitations to go to running events, running specialty stores like you, I got a chance to meet not only the sort of run-of-the-mill runners that would have certainly been me, but I also got a chance to encounter some of the really upper echelon runners for everybody, the current ones, you know, Meb and Dina, and of course, Frank Short was there, Jeff Galloway. And I realized that there was much more about them that was similar to me than the difference between our paces. I had a wonderful conversation with Khalid Kanucci about training. And he and I, world record holder at the time, he and I talked about our training as training partners would talk about their training until we got to pace. You know, his easy runs were done at a six-minute pace. You know, I couldn't even get close to a six-minute pace. So I think that's it. We're really all the same. We're accepting the same challenges, the limits of our body, the limits of our minds, our willingness to do what's necessary to make whatever progress we think we can make and then accept whatever progress we are able to make. It's exactly the same, whether it's you and me or whether it's a world-class athlete. Well, and you and I were speaking before D2 fired up the mic that similar to that sense, even when Khalid was setting the world record in Chicago and running that race quite regularly, now to today, that there is very much a mindset that makes the Penguin as relevant now as it was in 1996, in 1998, in 2001, because whether you're someone who was not even around during those years or someone who has tracked with you all of these years, people have this desire to better themselves. It is not generational. It does not go out of style. There may be things that are different between how I choose to better myself than how you do or how D2 does or how someone who might be younger than three of us is. But bettering ourselves is pretty universal. Is, is that true? And is that part of why you're just as relevant in 2019 as you were in 1999? Uh, I, yes, I think to a certain extent that's true. And, and not to, to be disagreeable, but in the <laughs> early stages of that second running boom, uh, I was fortunate enough to have that form where I could be a voice for people like me who very often were in their 30s or 40s sort of early on in their careers, even mid-careers, who had been told when they were younger that they were never going to be athletic, that the athletes didn't look like them. So these people were, a, it was a mindset that said, no, I'm going to do this, and you're not going to tell me I can't do this. And the running industry did not embrace me, they did not embrace that second running boom right away. And so I think there was a sense in which they had felt like they had to fight for the opportunities to, to run the events that to, to, to didn't have the course closing at a time when they could never meet that time. 
And so when that happened, I think the generation that came behind that sometimes had the idea that it had always been this way. Oh, I can I can only run a five hour marathon. Well, surely I can just sign up for every marathon that I want to. That wasn't always the case. And now I think we've come back to what exactly what you're saying. I think people have realized that to do it well, to challenge yourself, you have to be willing to do the work. They're not going to just give you that medal when you cross the start line. You actually have to get to the finish line. And that, to me, is the most exciting thing about where we are right now is that I feel like we've kind of come back around, as I said, almost full circle to this idea that anybody can do it. Anybody who's willing to do the hard work can do it. Anybody who's willing to be patient can do it. And if you do, then now the running community, the running industry is going to celebrate that achievement irrespective of where you come in at the finish line. Well, and and first – I can tell you that you are always welcome to be disagreeable because I know how that tends to open up conversations. And I know from just doing my research and having followed along your submissions into the greater market and run space, that the way that you tend to say, I'm going to be disagreeable or I'm going to challenge that is in a way that seems fully respectful. So let's talk about where you've had to do just that. You know, I take a title of an article here, The Man Who Ruined Running. You can probably guess who they're talking about because, yes, that was an article about you. The creator of the slow running movement. People like Craig Virgin, who are more elite athletes than what any of us having this conversation ever maybe aspired to be, who would say that level of runner does not deserve the same level of attention or perhaps fanfare that someone at the front of the pack does. And I think you, as that voice for so many of us said, I'm going to be disagreeable about that. And we're willing to take it on. So let's talk about when you hear those comments that might suggest you've ruined running. What would you say to those people with the respect that you always give them, but yet saying the same thing you said, maybe even somewhat in jest that I'm going to be disagreeable for a moment. Well, there was a a wonderful New York Times article a number of years ago, and I was the photograph that accompanied the article. I was wearing a T-shirt that I had made up specifically for that article that says, I'm slow. I know. Get over it. And and you just you have to be. And I'm fortunate, I guess, (laughs) that I'm that bullheaded that I thought, you know what? I'm out here. I'm training. I'm doing all I can do. I'm just slow. And that being just genetically slow is not a reason to deny me the opportunity to find the best in myself, whatever that is. If the best in myself is a four hour and 45 minute marathon and I'm willing to work hard to do that, no one should be able to deny me that. And that's what as I began to process this, as I began to be exposed to more and more of the elite runners and they began to understand, wait a minute, this guy's not saying He's just going to turn up and he's overweight and he's a smoker drinker and he just wants in on what we're doing. He is willing to do the same work we're doing. And he accepts he expects to get the same accolades for doing his best. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes is misunderstood about the whole penguin mantra, which is that I'm not telling anybody to go slower than they can. If you can run a 215 marathon or a 230 marathon or three, do it. If that if that's your challenge, that's great. But if your best, your honest best through your effort is a five hour marathon, then that's your best. And you shouldn't get complicated by saying, well, I suck because I can only do a four hour marathon, because really, once you get past about 205 or 206, everybody sucks. Well, and I think that is where this intersection lives. We talk about bettering ourselves, and then we talk about the expression back of the pack. And one of the things I wanted to tease out, and and you set us up perfectly to do so, is that make no mistake, who John the Penguin Bingham speaks to, and perhaps speaks to daily, is that person who may not find themselves ever running at the front of the pack, or maybe even winning their age group if they elect to take on a local 5K. But you're also not necessarily that voice for the person who shows up, and I mentioned this to you a little bit ago, 50th 
year for the AJC Peachtree Road Race? I do not doubt. We'll have every level of participant out there, including many who will perhaps toe the start line with a Bloody Mary and more than take their time and hit every aid station with whether it be Powerade or craft beer, whether it be seeing friends along the way, whether it's enjoying the revelry and the music and the tradition and the pageantry, there is a place for that person when you have 60,000 people heading down the largest thoroughfare in the capital of the South on July 4th. Right. But that's probably not your audience either. I don't think it is. Uh, I wrote a column. Uh, I was very fortunate over the years to to become really very good friends with, with Frank Shorter. We were on stage a lot, and I learned a ton from him. But the column was about an observation that he made that the gold medal moments, I mean, he's a gold medal Olympian, but the gold medal moments are happening all through the pack. He, he said, you know, that, that, that person, that, that mother who's working at, you know, a job, and she comes home, and she trains, and she takes care of her children, and for her, that four-hour 30 marathon it's just that is a gold medal moment or the the father or the it's the gold medal moments don't only happen at the very front and i think that's what you're saying i think that there anybody who's willing to do that who can achieve that success you know you know this to be a fact if you can take 10 seconds off your best 5k time if your pr is 10 it doesn't matter if that 10 seconds comes at under 14 minutes or, or under 40 minutes, it's still something that you've done, you've worked hard for. So, yeah, I'm not not 100%. I understand that there are participation races where you show up and you do whatever you're going to do, and at the end of it, they give you a medal. But, no, that is not the people I've been trying to speak to. I've been trying to speak to the people who are willing to do the work to change their lives and just suggest that if you are willing to do that work, you should be celebrated for doing the work. Well, and let's talk about doing the work. And, and John, one of the things that to do here on this podcast is sure we talk running and hopefully we give both inspiration and information. We talk about our pillars being those two things alongside encouragement and empowerment. And one of the things that I think is so cool about your story is it's not just that you have this terrific way of connecting with people like me who need to hear these things. But you also have a story of your own that exists alongside the running that is so cool because it is a perfect setup for anybody who says, my running is part of my own growth or my fitness routine comes alongside of me trying to get the most out of me or me trying to get the most out of every single day. I know from your own account that at one point you felt like, well, my goodness, this would be terrific, but my guess is I'll be a band instructor, or I'll be a music teacher. And now here we are all these years later, and something that you're doing and continue to do so well was never part of your occup occupational plan, or perhaps anything that you ever studied to be able to do. You've authored five books, you've done a column for a major publication for decades. Like you said, you're sharing the stage with greats of the sport, and you now have opportunities that we'll talk about on this podcast that include appearances, that include different endorsements. This is not what you originally set out to do. So for those well, who, who want to say, my goodness, what does tomorrow look like? And could it ever look much different than what I thought it would? Your answer would be tomorrow is going to look really, really good, but you've got to be open to the new. How do you do that? How do you kind of just leave yourself out there to find a passion and pursue it the way you have. Oh, well, thank you for asking that. But I'm going to give you actually a, a serious answer to that because everybody knows, and I've talked about this a lot. Everybody knows that there's a phone call that you could get that would make your life change for the worst instantly, just instantly. We all know that that phone call is out there and some of us worry about it, you know, every day. What people don't accept is that there's also a phone call out there that can change your life for the better just as quickly. And, and that's precisely what happened to me. I had been doing these little silly Penguin Chronicle things on a on the Dead Runner Society. At that point, it was a, a mail merge kind of thing. And I got a call from Andy Burfoot, editor at the time of Runner's World magazine, asking me if I would wanted to do a column for Runner's World magazine. I mean, at that time, it was ex almost the exclusive kind of source for that kind of stuff. 
Well, being a, a freelance musician, I said, sure, I can I can do anything if I can only do it eight times. So that phone call is what changed my life. And what you're saying is also true. You have to be willing to say, okay, this opportunity is here. I'm now teaching at a small university in Tennessee. Am I willing to give that up to pursue this other passion? And in my case, the answer was yes. I understand that it can't be true for everybody, but if you're willing to take the opportunity that's being handed to you, there's almost nothing that you can't do. Uh, People are afraid, just back to the courage to start. People don't want to take that risk. People don't want to give up the security of knowing what they know. And and that's fine that I don't criticize those people. But if you're willing to just say, you know what, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and take off down this path, you're going to be shocked at what you find. Well, I'm going to stay here for a second. One thing I'll do that I had not thought about previously, D2, I would publicly suggest that all of us, regardless of where we are in our running journey or journey or how much time we've spent with Runner's World, would give them credit for the way that they put some of these personalities at the forefront because of their ability to relate to so many others, not suggesting that we have to be winning races or setting world records. John, one of the conversations we had earlier this year that made me think of this was with uh, Bart Yasso and recognizing that similarly, he just has this terrific way of relating to so many others. And he had maybe a more athletically accomplished background than what some would by the time he was really at the height of his contributions to runner's world. I think the two of you share and same with my interactions with Ambi is this unbelievable, this beauty of making others feel like they're the only ones you want to learn more about as it relates to their own personal journey in and around the sport, as opposed to selling more magazines, getting more readership for your column, determining how many subscriptions or online clicks that you get just because of that conversation. And that's a special characteristic. So now thinking about that, that journey that you've taken in terms of finding this occupational calling of yours for those who might be right now going, okay, I get it on the running thing. And whether I need John Bingham's inspiration every single day or not, what I could really use is some good advice as it relates to knowing whether or not I am in the right spot, the sweet spot for me and my particular career or responsibility. What is it that you would say to that person? Well, it's a a great question. And I don't know that there's any one right answer. I think if you're miserable, that's a pretty good indication that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you found a passion, and I think that passion can be in engineering, it can be selling shoes, it can be writing columns. If there's a passion in your life that uh, addresses your needs, then that's fine. My, My only two real passions in my life and a third was sort of music, but that was more of a profession than a, and I would call a passion, motorcycling and running. And virtually every epiphany I've ever had, every sort of that moment of clarity that people talk about has come either on a motorcycle or on a run. And I think if you're having those kind of moments, those and you're willing to listen to your own voice that says, wow, I need to be doing this or wow, I need to stop doing that. You, you can you can make those life changes actually very quickly and pretty seamlessly, but you have to find something that gives you that moment of clarity. In my case, it was running or in motorcycling. It could be woodworking. It could be any number of things, but you've got to find that whatever that is for you that allows you to have those epiphanies to allow you to have those life changes. Well, in those life changes, and maybe this is a smaller audience, but it's not a small audience by by any stretch. And you mentioned being on your motorcycle and being on a run and being able to have those moments of clarity, those epiphanies, being open to that, being receptive to what comes. And there are probably times that you have one of those moments and you're like, oh, my goodness, that actually makes me feel uncomfortable. Or am I really going to hold myself? Right. This right. and the smaller audience I'm going to speak with are those people. Maybe it is all of us, at least to a small degree, that have a book in mind or maybe one that kind of somehow gets our heartbeat to go a little bit faster because we have a story to tell or we have sage advice to share. These are titles. And I will admit, John, that I've read 
two to three of your books. I haven't finished one of them yet as we were getting ready for this conversation. Two of them I had read previously. Two of them I've not read, The Running for Mortals and The Marathoning for Mortals. No Need for Speed, The Courage to Start, An Accidental Athlete. We'll certainly put links in our show notes, but that is bona fide authorship. How do you get to that point where you say, today's the day I start and I just start to put it all out there. I'm willing to be vulnerable enough to put my experiences and what I believe is true out there on pages for others to read. Digital ink is cheaper than ever. D2 reminds me of that all the time. Audio is cheaper than ever. Video is cheaper than ever. And with that being the case, there's still so much fear that I think comes with putting it out there, being vulnerable, telling a story, sharing your experience and knowledge, but you've done it. Well, well you're, 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 exact, you're exactly right on all of it. It is still frightening, but it is now possible, much more so than it was. Uh, what some people don't know is that somebody, a friend of mine, had submitted the very same column where the courage to start came from to Runner's World, because at the time they had a reader's page at the back. And I got a very, very pleasant note from that assistant editor saying that nobody wanted to hear anything that a former fat guy who runs slow has to say about running. And at the same time, Andy Burfoot was on the phone with me asking me if I could write 12 columns or eight columns for Runner's World magazine. So at, at that point, there was a barrier. I mean, you had to get over the doors were closed. You could bang on the doors, but unless somebody opened the door, you couldn't get your thoughts out. You couldn't get your feelings out. You couldn't get your opinions out. In the digital era, I mean, anybody who wants it, it's a good news, bad news. Anybody who's got a thought about something, you know, if you go back to the 90s, if you wanted to learn a half marathon training program, you're probably going to go buy Hal Higdon. So you're going to go buy Jeff's book and maybe eventually you're going to buy mine. But now if you type in Google half marathon training programs, you're going to get everybody's brother-in-law that says, this is how I did it. So it, there's no no restrictions on who can write what and who can have an opinion. And I think that's part of what you're saying is true, that they you've got to have, here we go again, the courage, really, to just simply start expressing it. If you've got a book in you somewhere, it, start writing that book. Uh, there's no right or wrong way to do that. Um, I am a manic writer. Joe Henderson was and still is a very careful writer. Joe would write from 9 to 11 every day. And if he was in the middle of a word at 11 o'clock, he would stop. The, the Accidental Athlete was written in four days because I wrote each section in one day because I was afraid that if I stopped, I would never be able to figure out where I was. So that's the other thing. You have to just understand that your way of doing it, whether that's writing or talking, that's right for you. There's not a right or a wrong way to do it. Just get started. That's awesome. I love the fact that you tie in the courage and the just get started because the life advice applies to whether it's writing or running, but so many other things. And I hope people hear that, whether it has to do with being a better parent, whether it has to get started with learning how to read music or play music. It's always been there, but it's never been pursued. I mean, that just get started and that just exhibit the courage. It goes way beyond writing a book and running a race. It kind of bleeds into everything we think about and maybe ultimately elect to do. One of the greatest surprises for me, and, and I think as I've gotten older now, you begin to reflect on these things. But, you know, the book, The Courage to Start, which has now been out there for a long time, out there for 20 years. And, and I have gotten so many notes, emails and things like that, how people have used that book. It's exactly what you're talking about, the courage to start. I've had ministers tell me that they've created sermons based on something in that book. I know from talking to, and I've gone and talked to at addiction centers, people who are trying to break an addiction, you know, that idea of having the courage to start to change their lifestyle. This is really what it comes down to. So it's, it, I never intended the book to be anything than just sort of gentle musings about the kind of fun things that were happening to me. But I, I've come to recognize now that people will read into that whatever they need in order to change their own life. And so whatever you decide to write or you decide to say, it doesn't really matter. It, what matters is what people read into it, what people hear when they hear you say it. 
Wow. Awesome. Well, and what a perfect setup for where I was going to go. You were kind enough to say, I've been doing this long enough, or I think your phrase was, as I've gotten older, we all do, regardless of whether it's somebody on the high school cross-country team right now who has many, many, many years of running ahead of him or her yet, we can look back. And so maybe this is akin to asking you to choose some of your favorite children. So I might be putting you on the hot seat unfairly, Uh even unnecessarily. But at the same time, recognizing how deep your experience is and how wide of a net you have cast in this lifestyle, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask some of these things, some for fun and some, quite frankly, because I know there's a lesson. Maybe the lesson I take will be different than what D2 would or one of our listeners might. But as we think about something that you believe you've said, you've written, you've shared, For somebody who isn't going to be able to get all of what John Bingham has done fast enough, but they should go to one place right away because you believe it just has the greatest application or seems to impact the most people based on what you've learned on your own journey. What is that from all that you've done, all that you've shared, all that you've written, all that you've said? Where would you say this is really the essence of who the penguin is? Believe it or not, it's not hard to do that because it's uh, and it's not that I decided that this was the case. It's just that over the years, this is what has been told to me is the case. And that is, and it started off in the courage to start towards the end of that book, and then it followed up with no need for speed. And it's what I call the circle of success. And, and this, as it turns out, is something that that really has distinguished what I was talking about from maybe what others were talking about. And that is that success is cyclical. It's not linear. And the circle of success is inspiration, which I've defined as very easy. Inspiration for most of us is like falling in love in high school. I can do it 10 times a day. But that's got to be followed up with perspiration, which has got meaning you've got to figure out how you're going to do whatever it is you're going to do, whether it's, again, going to be an engineer, whether you're going to start a running specialty store, or whether you're going to become uh, a first-class runner. That's got to be followed by the dedication, which means you can't quit on it. You can't quit on yourself. When it gets going gets hard, you've got to continue to do it. And that's got to be followed by the celebration. And that's the part of it that I was probably most famous for because I celebrated in everything. You know, I would come in at a 45-minute 5K, hooping and hollering, and some poor kid had just missed his, you know, came in at 17 minutes, and he's back in his car angry. So I think that's of everything I've written or talked about. It's this idea that it's a continuous circle of success. You've got to go from inspiration to perspiration to dedication to celebration. And then that celebration should trigger more inspiration, more perspiration, more dedication, more celebration. And if you just keep on that wheel going around and around and around, you're going to be amazed at where you end up. Wow, that's awesome. And obviously, you still are very much a practitioner of that. So, okay, next question. If you think about all the events that you've been to, whether it's an expo or a finish line, whether it is close to home or far away, do you have one activity that you would recommend? Gosh, if everybody could do this, the world would be a better place. Uh, I've got to give you two. Uh, I know you asked for one, but I'll give you two. You one is the, give you that latitude, John. The, the first time I ran the Chicago Marathon, which I think was in 1997, you know, I grew up in Chicago. I spent a lot of time being an idiot in Chicago. And to have run those streets of my hometown as a marathoner, uh, I think I finished in just a little over five hours, but that was a monumental thing for me because I got to see the city with my own two feet as a runner, as an athlete, and it was a very, very special time for me to to experience it that way. So that was certainly one. And the other one was was running the Marine Corps Marathon uh, in 2001. Because, you know, 9-11 and all of that, and we went by the Pentagon and see that destruction. And I thought, what a contrast, the juxtaposition of all of us out there running and being together and feeling this sense of community. And then, you know, the sort of horrors of what happened there. So they, they were both very, very emotional for me. The, the quick story on the Marine Corps, I got back, at, I finished the event, but I went into the, the VIP tent. And there's the commandant of the Marine Corps, as hardcore Marine guys you can imagine. And I just started crying. I just said, you know, I can't believe that you would have done this for us. We're just a bunch of runners. And he said, we take this as seriously as any other mission. We do this on purpose. And I thought that was it. You know, this guy respected us as runners, fast or slow. 
and what more could you ask for? Wow, that is that is awesome, and and I love the fact that you said both. If nothing else, personally speaking, my first marathon was Chicago as well, and 2001 and September 11. We've talked about it on this podcast previously. It was part of why Big Peach Running Company ever came to be. So hearing you link that to this great sport, to our great country, and to the men and women who serve, as well as the men and women who participate, is an awesome, awesome reminder and dose of encouragement. Okay, before we let you go, one last question, and then one thing I'd love to get you to comment on as we look at John Bingham kind of going forward, waddle on friends, as we might say. And the question that is not intended to be hot seat, but is intended to get all of us to think about what we look at down the road. What is it that you've not yet done in and around this great lifestyle that you just have to find time or make plans to do? And then alongside that question, John, I believe with all that you've done and with the personality that you've shared with us with the life that you've lived out in front of us, you're someone who believes everybody should have something to look forward to. And so whether our desire would be the same as yours when you say, well, this is still on my list or this is still something I intend to do, what we can relate to is the fact that having something to look forward to just makes sense. So to start with, what is still on your personal bucket list in and around this pedestrian active lifestyle? Well, it's interesting because I, I think I'm going to give you, the, give you an answer that maybe not be exactly what you had hoped for. When you start to become a runner at, in your early 40s as a drunk, overeating smoker, that first 5K, I never expected to finish a 5K and then to finish a 10K and then a half marathon and have done 45 marathons. So I, I don't look forward in the sense that there's more I want to do, more I have left to do, some bucket list thing out there. I look and think, holy smokes, I have been the luckiest guy in the entire world that I found running at that stage of my life and that I have been able to do all of these things that I never could have imagined doing. And the only reason I got to do them, whether it's running the events, getting to meet people like Frank Shorter and Jeff and all the rest, the only reason that happened was because at one point I took one step forward down my driveway. So there really isn't a looking forward that I want. I never had a plan. You need to understand that. There was no plan for the penguin. I just sort of rode that thing and followed it wherever it led, and I'm doing the same thing now. Wow, that's awesome. And there it is right back to the courage to start and, man, being so grateful for where it takes you if you're willing to put in those things that you mentioned earlier, including the perspiration and the dedication. And now you get part of what is a lifetime of celebration. And speaking of celebrating and things that seem like fun, you are doing running cruises. I see that you've teamed up with Marathon Expeditions, the ultimate running vacation, the next one coming up, not too far into the future this summer in Alaska. How does someone get that? responsibility. That seems pretty cool to do something like the great Alaskan running cruise and others that take all of what I would assume are runners and walkers to some pretty cool destinations. And they probably get healthy doses of both good food and inspiration to burn those calories. Yeah, it actually started back in 2002, I think it was. Runner's World did a cruise uh, right there in Atlanta. Uh, the, the cruise authority at that time is now the Cruise and Vacation Authority thought at the time they were going to do a celebrity cruise and it was, I was there and Frank was there and Ambie was there and George Hirsch was there and it was fine. Uh, but Jenny Hadfield, who is now my wife, got this idea that she would like to see him done differently and felt that what people wanted as these you know, destination marathons became bigger and bigger to do something like this based out of a cruise ship that runners who they want to take a cruise, but they want to experience Jamaica or somewhere else with their own two feet. So the the business just sort of grew out of that. Uh, we're very very fortunate that it's turned into a business that's really working. Jenny Jenny Hadfield does all the heavy lifting at this point. Uh, I try to be a personality, and that's about all I want to be. But she's, for example, she's got a group down in Patagonia. Uh, they just hiked 
down the Chilean mountains. She's doing that. We're taking a group to Iceland in June, a very small group. We're taking the folks to Alaska. We go to the Caribbean every year. And it's it's an extension of everything that we've been talking about. This is a group of people who maybe didn't feel well-addressed before. Um, they don't want to just sit on a cruise ship and eat and drink. They want to, they want to eat and drink. But we get them up in the morning and, and take them someplace that nobody else on the cruise ship is going to go and see. And then when they come back, they felt like they got their run-in or their walk-in, and now they can eat and drink. So it's been a, it's been a real kick. Wow, that's awesome. Is there a place besides runningcruise.com that people could learn more about what you and Jenny are doing? That's the best place to go. Runningcruise.com will take you there or JennyHadfield.com will also take you there. We will put a link to both in our show night notes. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the penguin. Fast or slow, just go. John, you are a true treasure to this lifestyle and an absolute gift to all of us who continue to put one foot in front of the other and do this as part of who we are. I'm going to let you have the last word. We're going to go to a break right after this. But as a way to encourage all of the great city of Atlanta, Atlanta and all of us as Atlantans who are run ATL, what would you leave us with? I'm going to leave you with a secret that very, very, very few people know. And that is the tagline, Waddle on Friends, came from the Saturday Night Live, you know, party on Wayne, party on Garth. So again, it wasn't that we sat there and came up with a focus group. For some reason, when I wrote that column, that must have been very popular. And it just came out, waddle on, friends. And so it all ties back to to uh, Saturday Night Live and Wayne and Garth. And it's just the celebration of joy. And I think that's really what I want to leave you with. It's all out there for you if you're willing to have the courage to start. Super cool. We'll be right back after this very brief message. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Injinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles, it doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. Welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast D2. I love how I feel after being around John Bingham. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I like about him is that he's an everyday um, you know, person. He, he's not an elite athlete. He's a runner, you know, just like anyone else. And those that probably don't consider themselves runners, I think that's who he appeals to. That's his audience. And that's why a lot of people find him relatable. That is so true. And obviously we've had many elite runners on this broadcast, Olympians and those who are even record holders to sit down and just get the other side of why we all love this sport so much is very cool. In fact, I mentioned at the onset how quoted the Penguin is. I think this ties in very much to what you were just saying. Here's another quote from John. If you run, you are a runner. It doesn't matter how fast or how far. It doesn't matter if today is your first day or if you've been running for 20 years. There is no test to pass, no license to earn, no membership card to get. You just run. And that's something that for us, you know, in store has been kind of, you know, our motto. It's, it's just the way we feel. Everyone that comes into our store, and I remember, you know, when someone would come in and says, well, I'm not really a runner. It's like, that's okay. We, you know, it's like we help everyone. And, you know, the idea is eventually if you don't feel like you're a runner right now, you don't classify as a runner, there's no test, like you said. But hopefully you'll feel like one after you start running, after you start becoming a bit more active, after you start getting, you know, a good pair of shoes and, and just start living that lifestyle, you're, you'll start transforming yourself and you start thinking yourself as a runner. Um, because there is no requirement. And, and that's one of the things that regardless of, you know, most people say, well, I'm a jogger or I walk run. It's like, doesn't matter. There is no classification. There's nowhere that I can find through the internet that says this is the definition of a runner. And it's, broken down based on a pace or a distance. Well, and hopefully everybody will take our opportunity to uh, produce show notes and include johnbingham.com as a quick link. He still does what he refers to, and as many people do online, a Monday motivation. He was kind enough to send us a note after the conversation, and he indicated that 
that most recent Monday motivation was inspired by our conversation. John, we were inspired as well. Make sure you check out that Monday motivation. It kind of picks up where we left off in terms of the question to him, what he has planned for the future. So a very cool bow on that gift that we presented, which is John Bingham to our audience. But D2, another gift. We are in the giving spirit. It might be tax day. That might mean taketh away in many instances, but we are giving. Yeah, that's right. We've we've got a, uh, you know, we've partnered up with our uh, friends at Dirty Spokes Productions, and there's a new race that we are proud to be a sponsor, the title sponsor of, um, called Big Peach Farm to Trails up in Blue Ridge, Georgia. And I mean, it's in November, November 2nd. So it'll be cooler temps. I mean, we've done 50Ks and, you know, up there and I did a 30K there last year at end of September. And it's just beautiful, but it was hot. So to go back to do to running up there in November, I think, it'll you know, leaves will be down, you know, and uh, but it'll be the temperatures will be cooler. I could I can, can't wait to be running. And right now, I mean, we're here we're going into spring and we're like, oh, we can't wait until it's warm. But already I'm like, just the idea of running trails in the fall, to me, that's that's just perfect. Well, and that's our gift. If you need a reason to get started this spring, if you need a reason to stick with it in the sticky days that are to come, which is summer in the ATL and throughout the state of Georgia, 11K and 30K will be the distances offered in that big peach farm to trails event. D2 mentioned that many of the leaves will be down. There'll be still hints of fall colors for sure at the beginning of November. Last year, because of the way the weather played out, lots of color even in those first two weeks of November. In addition, you'll get some winter views, those long range views that make those big climbs so worthwhile when you can look out and see how far you've not just come, but how far you have climbed. Part of what we believe may be the best fall trail event out there. Certainly Dirty Spokes, D2, you know this, Tim and his team, they produce world-class events. We work with them on the Dirty Spoke series that's going on right now. We'll include that in our show notes. Tim and his team and family put events on all summer long. He did not have an opening to produce this event until early November. That shows you the caliber of his work. So D2, knowing your experience running those trails, being in that particular environment. Any advice that you would already share with someone who's thinking, that might be for me, but they've not done any real trail running to date or perhaps bitten off 11 or 30K distances yet? Well, I mean, I think an 11K is a great distance for those that are just getting into it. Uh, 30K, if you're feeling a little bit more up to a challenge, I think it's great without kind of crossing into that 50K. Because 50K can be a little bit, you know, overwhelming to even consider doing, you know, 30 plus miles, 31, 32 miles. Um, and there is elevation. I mean, this is the mountains. We're in Blue Ridge. So it's not like you're going to like, oh, well, it's going to be flat. No, there are climbs. And we previewed part of this course last year at Big Peach Spring Break, and we ran it in a, in a, in a different direction. The race is happening counterclockwise. Um, so you're going to start out, um, you know, on the road, and then you're going to start climbing. I would say the majority of it, you know, at the first half of the, of the, of the course is going to be uphill. And so you got to train for it. I think you're going to need trail shoes. You're not, because of the, the time of the year, you need something that's going to have traction. Um, and regular road shoes won't do. You're going to need trail shoes. Um, if you're doing an 11K, you're going to have to probably carry, you know, at least a handheld. Um, and if you're doing a 30K, I would recommend wearing a hydration vest or something along the, those routes. Because there will be aid stations out there. But for this type of distance and in the areas there, that you're going to be out there, there may not be a, you know, a hydration station, an aid station for several miles. And depending on your pace, depending on the conditions, you want to be carrying, you know, your fluids. You want to be have your gels and, you know. And those, those are my tips, and I'd say start training on those hills. That is terrific. The last tip that I will add, and the reason that we're telling you about this on April the 15th is there are very limited registrations. Tim's races always sell out because of our agreement with the U.S. Forest Service. Only 300 spots available. Marketing for this event, registrations for this event started on April 1st, and I believe very firmly we will be sold out long before we get to the beginning of November. So think about it. Make the commitment. Take D2's tips to heart. 
and then do what I am suggesting, and that is sign up now if you want to be assured a spot at that start line in Blue Ridge, Georgia on November 2nd. D2, we don't have to wait that long before we come back together. As always, I love spending this time with you. Special thanks to John the Penguin Bingham for his time with us. And for all of you, we so very much appreciate you joining us on this enjoyable journey. As we say, as we certainly mean, in the meantime, may your best miles be those covered on foot. Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Run ATL podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. That's podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.